0: Good morning, morning. please turn to Hebrews and chapter 12, Hebrews and chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, been focusing on answering a question, are you running by faith, the rest marked out for you? This morning a statement, run the rest fixing your eyes on Christ. Run the rest fixing your eyes on Christ. Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 3, therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely We are looking, or we were considering, what this passage affirms, and we noticed firstly that it affirms that there is a race to be run. We observed, secondly, that it affirms that this race has been run by sense of old and they want they run the rest victoriously therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses implication who have run the rest and they run it faithfully they run it victoriously Thirdly, this sense of ode who run this rest are also witnesses or are testing to the fact that we must run this race by faith. We must run it with endurance. When we do so fixing our eyes on Christ, we will run the race victoriously. The third affirmation was simply that this race has those who ran it in the past and were victorious as witnesses attesting to eat. We considered a fourth affirmation. This race is marked out for each one of us to run. This race is marked out for each one to run. No one can say they are not running. They have simply come to be spectators. We all have a race to run. God willing, I'm hoping to slow down and ask, but as we conclude these verses, do you actually know your rest? Uh, do you actually know your rest? And we'll explore that the Lord willing. The Apostle Paul towards the end of his life was able to tell us the fact that he had run the rest. He had fought the fight. He knew what his rest was. He knew what his fight was and he knew that he was now coming to the end of that fight and that rest and god granting next lord's day will be asking that question do you actually know your rest will ask it also in the broader context do you know your role in the life of this local church in the life of the body of christ in that non-existent old english word what are your giftations uh, do you know them what are your talents Uh, what is your rest? But we saw the affirmation that this rest is marked out for each one of us. The fifth affirmation, we observed that this rest must be run with no entanglements as much as possible, with no entanglements or sin as much as possible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight Or every entanglement and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the rest that is set before us. And under that, we stated one, the Christian life has according to a summary or the summary of scripture, two duties, negative and positive. Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Two general duties are given to every single Christian negative. That is the things you must not do. That's duty number one. Duty number two, the things you must do. So as you read James, we told if anyone knows the good they must do and they are not doing that good, they are sinning. But in that same book, we are told if you are in love with the world, you are enmity with God. Therefore, don't be in love or don't be friends with the world. But the good you know do that good, then it's not sinful. It is the duty of mortification or putting to death issues of the flesh and vivification or enlivening issues of your life, putting off the old man in putting on the new man. Secondly, we said under this rest must be run with no entanglements, no entanglements and sin must be allowed to hinder our running of this rest effectively. You may run this rest, but if you permit weights and sin, you may not run it effectively. In the context of the passage, you may not run it as victoriously as desired. Then I'm not indicating loss of salvation, but you may not run at the end to be given a crown, a reward, an affirmation, an applause from heaven. You may run and fall along the way, you may be crawled over to the finishing line. The language of the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, you will be saved as though through the fires. Entanglements and sinai hindrances to Christian progress, in Christian work and service, individually and corporately. Therefore, throw off everything that hinders. That is all inordinate, excessive, extravagant, and reasonable affection and concern for your physical needs and the present life and the world. Throw off. Notice that the weights are not necessarily sinful. The weights actually may be positive. But an imbalanced obsession with these even good things, they become weights and therefore hinder our progress. Fourthly, we said under that we must run this race without entanglements as much as possible because of what entanglements and sin are and do. Every entanglement or weight and every sin must be thrown off, must be laid off, must be set aside because they are precisely that weights that slow us down and the sins that are abominable before God well let me just conclude with the fifth one under that uh, fifth affirmation that the passage is affirming we must run without any entanglement as much as possible but as you read these verses you'll notice that we are called to pay attention Particularly to what is called besetting sin. The King James Version uses the word beset or sin that easily entangles. That's the NIVI trust. The ESV sin which clings so closely. Now, sin is sin, but not every sin affects us the same way. And not all of us are prone to all the sins the same way. That there are sins as individuals that easily trip us over. There are sins that easily bring us down. Uh, Some of us, our sinful dispositions might be to do with dressing immodestly. That might be the sin that closely or easily sets you off. Some of you, it's gossip. Mastered in inclining your ears at 45 degrees Celsius to hear at a proper frequency a message you'll be discussing. That's your inclination. And if you are that person, keep away from anything that will cause you to begin gossip discussions. Some of us, it's pride, greed, self-centeredness. You will notice Sometimes, unfortunately, many times, particularly when it comes to matters of church discipline. Very few churches, almost all, doesn't matter what the leaders would say. They would say in the meeting, this matter is for members. It finishes in this meeting where the moment you go out of church, you hear, Who told you? Gossip! Be clear about which sin easily entangles you. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There is an argument that the sin being referred to, as in the book of Hebrews, is the sin of unbelief. If that's the sin that easily entangles you or makes you fall, Ensure that you pursue faith and trust in Christ. Pay attention particularly to your besetting sin, the sin that clings closely to you, that easily entangles you. Individual Christians do have what is called constitution or constituent sin, a sin because of your body or physical or nature. Please do pay pay careful attention if you're going to run this race effectively. Sin that one is most inclined to and is most easily drawn to commit. You know these sins. You know them. And the text is saying, pay particular attention to that. Some of us is Wutani. Even when we have, our answer is always, I wish I had. No, terribly sorry. I wish I could help when you actually can. The passage is affirming, pay careful attention and do not be entangled. Sin that so easily entangles or besetting sin is the sin that has the greatest or tends to have the greatest leverage over us or pull against us by the circumstances we're in, a constitution, a makeup, or a company. Some of us, it's an unhealthy obsession with social media. Pay attention to that. Affirmation number six, this rest, life must be run with the right attitude or approach. This race must be run with the right attitude or approach. That's what these verses is affirming as well. Listen to the wording. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance with perseverance, with steadfastness, with patience depending on the version you're using. Hold on, don't let go. Run with an attitude that says I will not stop. I'm going to run. If I faint along the way, I will ask the people to so lift me and bring me to the finishing line. But run, with endurance. Run perseverance. Run with patience. Run with diligence. Run even when you run out of breath. Continue running. Don't give up. If you belong to a ministry, it's probably common knowledge. But some members leave a particular ministry because they are frustrated either by the leadership or by the way things are done or by those who want to be first. And so because they're in the background or something is not going the way they, sh- they think it should go, they just stop the fight and they just hold back and stop. Now look at the text. Look at the text. If that's your rest, run with endurance, implication, you're going to encounter resistance. It's not going to be a slide with oil spread over it. It's not going to be a tug of war with oil in our hands so that we easily slip out. We need to have a rough rope and we may have bruises. But the text says, let us run endurance. You probably know some of the members of this local church that left because of what was happening, because of what we went through, because of what people said. Some probably left not to join any church, left church altogether. Please look at the text. Look at the text. And it is passages like this I tell myself, look, you must stop saying this. But I continue to encounter passages like this. A Christianity that has no challenges is not biblical Christianity. We are not promised a smooth, well-shaped, no struggles, perfect ride home. That's not what the text promises. That's not what Christ promised Fact is, words were these. If they treated your master this way, guess what? They would do worse. That's not pleasant. Run. Because of these circumstances, run with perseverance. Run with endurance. Run diligently. The word translated perseverance or endurance or patience includes both passive endurance and patience, and active persistence, or tenacity, that you patiently run, but you actively will not give up. There are things you must do. There is a dependence you must have. You must depend on Christ to give you ability, and as he does so, you must put to flame the means he's put in your life. So there is going to be active persistence, Or tenacity or resolve or determination. Be a Kenyan marathon runner or an Ethiopian one. Everybody may take off and run ahead of you. Keep your pace. Everybody else may fall off along the way. Be on your way to the finishing line. This race must be run with patience, forbearance, Persistence, there is need for patience because of the difficulties that lie in our way. There is need for perseverance because we must resist the temptation to stop running or to turn aside from the race track. I still think I can ride a bicycle very, very well. That's what my mind tells me. I, I, I am convinced I can ride five kilometers fast forward until my body just told me lying. Got on a bicycle, down slope it was okay. All it needed to happen was just get on a straight, not up, not down, just straight. And all of a sudden the bicycle became hard. And I'm thinking something is wrong with this bicycle. They didn't oil it properly. You know, who wh- what is it? And the person I was with says, No, it's not the bicycle. Is at that point you look at them and say, So, what are you saying? Your legs are basically saying, Done. Well, the text says, Don't give up. Keep going. Now, the, the pace of going forward fast may reduce. But the importance is keep going. It's like those bicycles that you can't stop. You know, it's either foot breaking, or it to stop. So just put your feet there. Keep going is the insistence of the text. But there is going to be resistance. If you start going uphill, you must fight gravity. If you are swimming, You must fight upthrust. Someone has said, faith and patience are the conquering graces and therefore must be always cultivated and kept in lively exercise. Uh, With matters of exercises, beloved, if you think you are healthy, uh, if you walked uh, a kilometer or two six months ago, Try to walk two kilometers today. You will understand what perseverance means. Keep going. Number seven, and concluding our affirmation, is that this text basically is stating that there are many examples, but there is one example you cannot afford to follow there is one person you cannot and the language is not look at once it's continue on your mark set get set go your eyes must be fixed on one until the finishing line let's read the verses together and pick up that person therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the rest that is set before us, looking. If you're using the ESV, it's looking. I think the NIV would say, let us look. Uh, it, It kind of hides the continuous sense. It's not simply let us look once. It's looking as a continuous process looking to Jesus the founder and perfect of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted what is this passage affirming as number six affirmation, that the ultimate, the supreme model on how to run the rest is Christ. The ultimate, the supreme model and example pattern of life on how to run this race is Christ. The author is moving from great examples. Chapter 11. The greatest example than he had yet mentioned. Now, in chapter 11, if you've done a study of Hebrews, generally referred to as the heroes of faith. But when you look at the names and you ask the question, other than Cain, who are you greater than in this section? So, if you ask yourself, are you sure are you greater than Abel? The answer will probably be no. Greater than Moses spoke with God face to face. And I don't mean greater by being more human-less, but in terms of being used, in terms of this intimacy, this unique walk with God. Abraham, well, we are called Abraham's children and we'll be in Abraham's bosom not Lama's Bozo, Uh, if that is said, uh, it's wrong. We have Jacob, Joseph, Sarah, a whole list of them. Now, as you go to the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament period, these were outstanding individuals they were not just average. They were not people you went to a city or a place and say, so do you know where Abraham stays? And people are saying, which one? Uh, no, I'm not sure because we have seven of them. No, they immediately know which one. When you went and said, look, this Joseph, who got used to, as it were, preserve the nation of Egypt, I mean Israel, do you know him? Number two to Pharaoh. He's not some non-entity somewhere. But he's not just politically outstanding. He's spiritual and in the context of faith, he ran the rest in a distinguished way. They were not perfect. You want to talk about Sarah? She's absolutely demonstrating this. Did she laugh? Did she doubt? Yes. But how is she characterized? as a woman of faith. The list is long. In that group, in that group, I think it's Vastali who some time back was giving us a list of people he thought they were great men. And he did a disclaimer on one. I know you disagree with me. But let's assume that they were great men or women in our country if you're going to ask who are the great politicians i mean if you don't name dr kaunda you don't know the politics in that group of outstanding men and women the passage says there is one who is not even in their He's in his own league. He is above them all because he's responsible for their running successfully. And he provides that which they needed to run successfully. He is the originator of that which enabled them to run faithfully. Looking to Jesus, the founder, or the author. Others will say the captain some passages the pioneer of their faith. The author, the founder, and the perfecter. He's not only author, he's not only the captain, he's not only the one that shows perfectly how to live out this life, but is responsible for anyone that will run this race. He's the source of this very faith. And is the very one who perfects it, is the one who enables it to be strengthened, is the one who enables our holiness to be holier the next moment we look to him. He is the one who works in us to will and to do. The ultimate supreme model on how to run this race is Christ. It's put this way, beloved. If your faith is absolutely in me, I can guarantee you one day I will disappoint you. There's no question about it. It's just a matter of to what degree. I disappoint you by simply passing you on the road when you're waving my car, stopping down, and I'm just looking forward as every disciplined driver must do. You go out and say, You know that. I'll disappoint you. you probably meet in ShopRite. You'll probably look at me, maybe you even have. You've looked at me, I've looked at you, and you're expecting for me to say, hi, how are you today? And I'm thinking, so what's your name again? I've no clue who you are. And you're thinking, what kind of pastor is this? He's almost two years, he doesn't know me. I'm Webster by all means. No, I don't. I will disappoint you because my memory is not perfect. I'll disappoint you if you're in the group that troubles me. I find you at Hungry Lion, and you say to me, Pastor, now that you are here, lunch is provided. And I'll say to you, sorry, tithe was not enough this month. I will disappoint you. Praying not grossly, but I will. Not all Sundays the sermons have been the same. There are Sundays you've gone home and you're thinking, did he read this last week? Or you're thinking, I didn't sense the Holy Ghost. I will. Maybe we've quarreled home. And I'm in the pulpit fuming and you're thinking, why is he angry with us? I will disappoint you. There is one. There is one. And I'm not giving excuses that I shouldn't be an example nor any leader shouldn't be. But that human beings, best as they can be, will be human beings. Whether it's Abraham, we know their stories. Go back to chapter 11 of Hebrews. We know their stories. Abraham lied. Isaac lied. David, we know the story. Moses, if it wasn't for the wife, he would be dead. He didn't enter the promised land. We know their stories. But there is one. There is one who outranks all of them. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There is one who can say to you, I experienced the worst, but I came out victorious. Christians have a greater example, a greater model, a greater pattern to animate and encourage them in their Christian course than any or all who have been mentioned before, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. These are at best mere examples in some aspects of their walk. Christ is a universal example in all aspects. In every single one aspect of your Christian life, Christ is your model. People accusing you falsely, go to Christ. You like necessities of life, go to Christ. Afflicted in the body, go to Christ. You're tired of this work, go to Christ. Overwhelmed with the storms of life, go to Christ. Resisting temptation, go to Christ. These others are examples but cannot help by way of strengthening us. Christ is the source and the one in whom and who himself perfects our faith. These others can show us by how they lived, they have no inert ability in themselves to pass on to you. They cannot say to you, get a little bit of my energy. Christ alone is able to do that. Notice the supremacy of Christ as a model and pattern when compared to the Old Testament saints. The author in chapter 11 chose the saints that were most outstanding and whose faith was most distinguished. But in comparison to all these, Jesus stands infinitely above all as the best model, person, and pattern. However admirable the sense of old and today may be, they are never to be the supreme example. Please, I beg you. No matter how admirable, the recent past, we've lost quite. Some giants, if we may call them in the faith, Arasis Proud, uh, Zachary recently passed on, Irving Stegos, uh, the list goes on. Best as they were, they must never be the supreme example. Never. Christ alone. It doesn't matter how much influence anyone will have in your life. We are grateful for God to use them, but they cannot be the supreme example. I think I remember in this pulpit, giving an example of a young lady I know who's gone to a Pentecostal church. Nothing wrong, as long as you remain faithful. But whose statements were concerning that whatever her papa said, whatever her papa said, she would do it that's suicide that's suicide whether it's a papa or bishop or pastor elder you can't do whatever they say you can only do if what they say is biblical you can't do just whatever they say maybe I need to ask a question can you do whatever I say well you do have the ability but the question is will you well, here is one. Need a few of three thousand kwacha, please, after church service. Says the bishop of this local church, in the name of the church. You're already thinking he is obviously joking. Well, if Christ had made that statement, if Christ had made that statement, our responsibility would have been to obey. Thankfully. He doesn't make such statements of such triviality. It means that we must set Christ continually before us as our example and our great encouragement. We must look to him for direction, for assistance, for acceptance in all our sufferings. In the scriptures generally, when looking is to God the Father or the Son, it denotes an act of faith or trust with hope and expectation. Jesus is given here not merely as the the perfect example, but as the one in whom we place our faith, and we must be the object of that faith. We must consider him, meditate much on him, and reason with ourselves from his case to our own. We must analogize, would be the Greek word used, Christ. When we compare Christ's sufferings and ours, will without doubt discover that as his sufferings far exceed ours in the nature and measure of them, so his patience for exercise to excel and does excel ours and is a perfect pattern for us to imitate. Look to Jesus to run this race effectively. Look to Jesus to run this race effectively. Therefore, Run the rest, fixing your eyes on Christ. I was hoping I was going to move on to why we must fix our eyes on Christ. But I forgot we are living under COVID. And there is not enough time. God granting we pick up. Why? Why must we fix our eyes on Christ? The text will demonstrate why. This morning, I beg you, run the rest, fixing your eyes on Christ. The implication is that you've already looked to him for salvation. And that which needs to be done is you're continuing fixing your eyes on him. Please do fix your eyes on Christ, even during this difficult time. Amen.